Hi, you're listening to an older episode. The podcast is now called Travel Writing World. You can find the episode show notes and much more at travelwritingworld.com. This is Jeremy Bassetti, and you're listening to All Over the Place, a podcast on travel, culture, and the creative life. Today's episode brings us to California, where I speak with Diane Hales about travel, writing, and her new book, La Passione, How Italy Seduced the World. She's the author of La Bella Lingua, My Love Affair with Italian, a New York Times bestseller, and Mona Lisa, A Life Discovered, an Amazon Book of the Year. So now, here is Diane Hales. I'm speaking with Diane Hales, uh, the author of the her new book, La Passione, How Italy Seduced the World, which is available Tuesday, April 16th. 2019, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Uh, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show to talk to us. It's my pleasure. I'm delighted. I'm happy to talk about the book. I'm excited to talk about the book, but um, I would also like to talk about travel in general and a bit about writing and and creativity, if you don't mind. But before we begin all of that, can you um, tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I, um, I I started off in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and uh, I had one skill, which was um, writing. And um, and I, when when one comes from Scranton, Pennsylvania, you're uh, more oriented toward real life than to uh, than to fiction. And so I was attracted to journalism and uh, started writing. I think I started doing my own self-published um, local newspaper when I was around 11 years old. Mm. I used to print it out wow. <laughs> and sell it for a dime. <laughs> and um, and so my career has been mainly in journalism. I, I had studied journalism at Columbia, and then I went on and have found myself majoring in science journalism and, and and covering health and medicine, which turned out to be a fascinating field. And I wrote a lot about women's health for various magazines. I wrote to, I'm married to a psychiatrist, so we wrote books on mental health. And um, it just, uh, it never even occurred to me that I, serious science journalist, uh, would become a uh, besotted Italophile mm-hmm. and, uh, and also a, a travel writer. So it has uh, it was an unexpected turn, which happens in one's career, and so uh, it's it's been really in the last it's been ten years since my first book called La Bella Lingua came out, and uh, it really is a book that changed my life. And and so you started off as a science journalist, and if I'm not mistaken, you've written a pretty famous textbook, um, an invitation yes. to health, <laughs> famous or infamous oh, yes. uh, students. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is actually. I am working. Um, I consider that my day job, uh-huh. and um, I am working on the 29th and 30th editions. So there's a big book and a brief book. So uh, yes, I will. Um, I think I am wrapping that one up. Um, but <laughs> It has been a huge part of my life, and it's been very gratifying because as a college professor, you understand that work
working with young people, uh, providing information that I hope they can use for the rest of their lives is important. And I've, I've enjoyed it. I've, um, uh, and, and it's, uh, personal health has been such a, an evolving topic, uh, mm-hmm. that, that it's always new. It's always been interesting. Um, but I'm, I, I, the whole industry is changing and, um, I've read that textbooks are on their way to extinction. So, uh, I, <laughs> I'm glad I have Italy as my plan B. Good. That's a good plan B to, to have, uh, especially in the countryside, uh, to get yeah. away from it all. Um, did you travel at all when you were a young woman? I traveled on assignments a lot. Uh, that that was in the days when um, reporters were, for, particularly for magazines, um, uh-huh. would be sent out on stories. And so I I covered like Mount St. Helens uh, when it exploded many years ago, and I'd I'd go to the Mayo Clinic or the um, various hospitals and interview uh, interview do do a lot of uh, personal interest stories. People's um, people who had various uh, disorders were I went mm-hmm. to NIH and the CDC. So it was that. It was not the kind of travel the travel writers um, write, but I found that, um, for one thing, I, I love new places. And then uh, just personally, um, my husband and I began traveling many years ago, and um, it, we went everywhere in Europe but Italy. Uh, we <laughs> almost consciously avoided it. We went to England, Scandinavia, France again and again and again. And, and yet there was something about Italy that seemed um, daunting to me. And I had written a book on sleep uh, and... And I was uh, brought over to uh, Switzerland to give a talk on the science of sleep. And I was there, and it was cold and miserable. And I <laughs> literally hopped on a train for Italy. And that was my first trip to Italy. And here I was there, and I didn't know any Italian except mi dispiace, non parlo italiano. I'm sorry, I don't speak Italian. And yet I was utterly besotted. So that was the turning point. It was transformative. And so that was the the first, um, I guess, Italian seduction that you had. Where, where did you go in Italy? Well, I got on a train in uh, <laughs> in, in uh, Geneva, and uh, my luggage was lost. So I ended up going to many places that I hadn't really planned. I had gone. I went to Milan, and I went to Florence, mm. I went to Rome, and uh, and every step along the way, I was overwhelmed. And I think there's that first time experience when you step off the train in Venice, and there's water everywhere, mm-hmm. and there are pigeons flying, and you're looking up at these castles, and you feel it's, it's a fantasy. Um, you, you go to, to Florence and you go into the Uchizi and you stand in front of the Botticelli and you can sort of feel your 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 soul shift a bit. You, you, yeah. you go to Rome, you walk around the Forum at night. So there were all these experiences and I think that there's a, I didn't say this, somebody else made the observation that there's a point where you go from being a tourist to a traveler. Mm-hmm. And um, a tourist is, is someone who, um, who really... He wants to see things, but doesn't want to really change, doesn't want to come out of the comfort zone. It's like, put me on the bus, take me there, I'll see it, I'll take a picture. And then a traveler is someone who just opens up, you open up your eyes, you open up your mind, you open up your hearts, and you say, yes, you know, I take me, transform me, change me, pull me into your into your magic. And I think that's what happened with me. And Lord knows I am not the first and I won't be the last. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you had a, you know, a deep aesthetic, I don't know, spiritual, I don't know what you would want to call it, but connection to, you yes. know, the place of Italy. Um, 
you know, something that you can feel. And so I remember when um, I did some studying in Madrid and Seville for, I was there okay. for an extended period of time. And I remember the first time I got off the Atocha station in Madrid and I walked up Atocha Street and mm-hmm. the history that I had been studying was staring at me in my face. And I remember feeling deeply changed and I don't know, I was having this, <laughs> it's hard to ex- yeah. explain, but I was having this kind of deep connection with the idea of being in that city and being in front of all the history. And it's something that if you experience, you'll never forget. That's right. Actually, um, there's a, a, a quote by Goethe, and he said um, he was talking about how anybody who travels and looks seriously around them and has the eyes to see that you become a stronger character. And um, he said, I'm always myself, but I believe that I have been changed to the very marrow of my bones. And I think that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so is that, would you say that was the, the, the very first kind of transformation or the first transformative experience that you had while on the road? It just, it, England didn't yes. connect with you, United States. But it, was, it wasn't um, just Italy. I, because I, I'm, um, I'm a journalist, I'm gregarious. I found it so frustrating to be surrounded by the Italians who are indeed, as Forrester put it, more marvelous than the land. And they were talking to me in their wonderful language and I couldn't understand anything. So (laughs) I left there determined to learn Italian. And that was what I took away. You know, I just uh, single-minded. And um, when I I, I had a busy life, I I wasn't about to, uh, I had a career and a family and But I I just started studying Italian. I started taking, uh, and this was before there were a whole lot of online sorts of things, Mm -hmm. so that um, I took Berlitz. I I signed up for classes, conversation classes. I just immersed myself in Italian. And um, so every time we'd go back, because we went back every year, at least since then, um, and I started making friends, um, very simple friendships that you you don't need that many words. And I I became so, um, I became very friendly with a, a woman in Rome, and um, and and she only spoke Italian. And I thought, well, I know she's not going to learn English, so I got to mm-hmm. boost up my Italian. So for years, I just studied Italian for the sake of my friendships, of, of, of being able to get around Italy. And then I was also writing books on uh, on my textbook and a book on mental health and women's health. And um, I was talking to my agent, and she said, well, why don't you write something about Italy? And I said, I can't. It's been done. I have nothing Mm -hmm. new to say about Italy. And she said, well, nobody's written about Italian. Why don't you write a book about Italian? You light up when you talk about it. So I, the thing about Italy is that it never disappoints. When you go looking for a backstory, you find one. So I found this wonderful story. There were poets. There were princes. There was a rowdy group of Florentine men who got together and said, let's make the most beautiful language ever. Because Italian was created. It just didn't evolve. And there were such wonderful stories. Nobody in this country really knew them. And so I put them all together and it became La Bella Lingua. And um, much to my delight, it's, it's, we're going to do a new edition. It's still mm. selling after all these years. And the president of Italy made me a knight. <laughs> yeah, I read about that. That's amazing. 
Yes, so that was, um, but it was really this genuine desire to to communicate. And I think that's the other thing when you travel, is that it's not easy to do that. And um, right. we traveled, my, my husband's background is British, and so we go to England where there is no, supposedly, no language barrier. But I don't feel that we've we've connected with, it's a different culture, whereas the Italians are truly open and and, uh, and congenial and, and sort of reach out so that um, I would encourage pet travelers to learn just a little bit of Italian because they're going to meet you halfway and you're going to find yourself having wonderful experiences if you have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that makes a lot of sense, especially in light of what you mentioned about the differences between being a tourist and a traveler, right? The tourists... Yes. And, Yes. Go around, right? That's where the word comes mm-hmm. from. Around, tour, right? They they go around and they see the things. And um, whereas the travelers, there's a work involved and there's kind of a struggle and the frustrations as I think the frustrations that you're, you're referring to here with the struggles mm-hmm. to speak a language yes. that motivate you to, mm-hmm. to, to connect with some of the locals um, and some of the Italians. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. So um, when you when you travel to Italy... Now or any place, but since we're talking about Italy, how do you do that? Like, what is your, what is your style or what is your philosophy? Do you go straight to the big cities? Do you pack light? Do you go to Cortona? Like, what does that look like for you? Well, it's evolved over the years, and it's changed as mm-hmm. I've been working on books because um, it used to be that we went to Italy purely for pleasure and relaxation. Mm-hmm. And we're very fond of the Maremma, which is a, a, a the region of western Tuscany, and it, it looks a lot like where I live. It looks like the northern coast of California, um, and um, it's it's very low key and um, it's beautiful for swimming and sailing and dolce far niente, the sweetness of doing nothing. And we had very busy lives, so for a while that really appealed to us. And we would go, and we had done, you know, we, we I think everyone does the grand tour, you know, and goes mm-hmm. to Florence and Rome and Venice. And um, and then when I started this idea about 12 years ago of writing a book on the language, I went to Florence to take a course in the history of Italian. And I became focused on on, on interviewing um, people, on finding, on, on, on just telling the story of the language. And so that became my itinerary. And so I went back many times just with different uh, to get different aspects of it of, of the language and talk to people and of course in Italy you never just go and um, you know do an interview you know you can't help but stop in a church along the way or walk under some mm-hmm. uh, some arch that's been there for a thousand years yeah right. so it, 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 it's always a, a rich experience and then um, when I was in Florence I, I met an art curator and I went over to her home for dinner and she casually mentioned that um, the house, the palazzo where we were, used to be the home of Mona Lisa's mother. And um, I, I I was stunned. I said, really? Mona Lisa was a real person? And she said, yes, yes, she was a Florentine. She lived in the Renaissance. And she probably came here all the time as a little girl to visit her grandparents. And so I, um, through through connections, I, I just started researching the life story of this woman. Everybody knows her face, but no one knows her story. So it was just fascinating. to. And again, that became my focus, was to go to the places where Mona Lisa lived and we, we you know, to 
in she lived in in Florence and Tuscany and down in Chianti and um, and so and then I uh, and and then also to do the same with Leonardo to kind of follow his career to Milan and Florence and um, so it was that became the the itinerary and then um, along the way I started to think what is it that ties everyone together what is it that's so intrigues me about Italians. And that was when the idea came for La Passione, for this driving force. And so um, I changed my um, I, my approach once again and, and just went all over Italy looking for examples of Italian mm-hmm. Passione. So um, so my process is a little different now because, uh, for one thing, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've learned uh, it's very hard to kind of do that sort of travel and take notes. But because now we all have our phone cameras. I've become very visual and mm-hmm. just, um, you know, use my camera as a way of taking notes and not so much for getting the, the best picture that's ever been taken of the ancient runes, you know, and, and Agrigento, but, you know, just to kind of trigger all of the things that, I, that I've been seeing. And then um, it was there when I, as I was, was, was traveling to, I went to like, for instance, um, Good Friday, I, I, two years ago, I went to the marathon 24-hour procession in Chopini in Sicily and just was part of this experience. And so it was it was just sort of the being there in that kind of case. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I would go to, say, Venice and um, interview glassmakers or silk weavers. Uh, so it was uh, a matter of, um, of just but it, it, the being there. I remember going to, um, and I, I worked very closely with local guides and I went to um, Parma for the food, of course, and, and and the guy took took me to a a prosciutto plant, and I could not see the connection. I'm thinking I wanted passion, not ham. You know mm-hmm. what is he what is he thinking? And and yet when I met this young man who was a third generation um, prosciutto processor, and he talked about how he had grown up underneath the prosciutti and how what it meant to him and how 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 he can he he, he wants to become parts of people's lives through that. And I realized that this too is Italian. Passion. So that um, it, it's it's interesting that when I would talk about my style or my process or my approach, I don't think it's a bad idea to sort of make like a journalist um, because mm-hmm. when you're a journalist, you're curious. You're just curious about everything. You ask very simple questions, you know, the who, where, what, when, why, and people open up to you. And so I think that that um, that also makes you less of a tourist and more of a traveler because it, it comes from a genuine curiosity, a genuine desire to know. And um, and I think that that is, um, you know, and the, you don't have to, um, the fact is that that part in the back of my mind, of course, I'm thinking like a professional writer and I'm thinking, oh, this will fit into this chapter or I can use this material. But just the experience of of, um, of trying to go beyond the surface, uh, whatever you're seeing, to just try to get, if you're looking at, if you're in the Piazza Navona in Rome and you're looking at that beautiful fountain of the four rivers, mm-hmm. to sort of think, oh, who made that? And what was this guy like? And it was Bernini and he's a rock star. And, you know, <laughs> just the, uh, the idea of, of, of again, asking questions, just letting your curiosity um, roam and, and being open to what you can learn. And of course, people don't need to do that uh, in, in connection to researching a book, right? They can, oh, no. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's one yeah. of the, um, the nice things about about travel is you get to experience new things and meet new people. Right. And you know, the, from 
from my experience, you know, the, the best travel experiences have been the ones in which I am open to the idea of meeting people, of talking to people and going where the wind takes me, you know, that's where you encounter, I think, uh, some of the great, uh, the great stories and some of the most compelling experiences. Yes, I agree. Yeah, and it, it does. It and it's not as hard. I mean, some people think, "Oh, well, I'm shy. I'm shy, or I don't. I can't speak well enough." Um, but I think if there's uh, this genuine, um, if there's genuine, if it's, it comes from a place of sincerity, if you are sincerely interested mm-hmm. and you're 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 just um, you, you want to learn, and and some and people want to share. It's as if somebody came up to you in your hometown and you said, "What's the place you love most here?" And you know, you, you, of course, you'd have something to say and you'd want to show it to them. And so when you do this, do you travel alone? Do you do solo travel or with your husband? Um, I, uh, I travel, it's both ways. It depends. Um, when we were, uh, when I was researching the chapter on wine, um, my <laughs> husband volunteered to come with me. <laughs> curious, curious phenomenon there. When I went to the um, to the religious shrines in Sicily, not so much. Nope, <laughs> I had no takers, and so uh, and it, it depends if I'm if I'm doing like a I've taken structured uh, like when I was taking the course in the history of Italian language, or if I'm really going to um, uh, do a very methodical um, you know study of um, I, I was doing different fashion houses too. He wasn't interested in that, but you know when it, I think that there's something to be said for both things when mm-hmm. you're on your own you you um uh, you reach out more you know you're sort of uh, but it's also there's something about experiencing italy as a couple um you know i it's um i've gone to say la scala by myself and it was a lot more fun going with my husband um you know or you're you know i can't imagine kind of getting on a gondola by myself <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um so i think it's the uh, both experiences i i tend to be um uh, maybe it's because i'm a journalist, I'm very comfortable alone. I, I'm used to traveling by myself. But I've also found that in Italy, even in Rome, um, I've, I've never felt unsafe. I, I mean, you have to use your sense, of right, course. Right, you know, right. you, you, there are neighborhoods everywhere that one avoids. Um, but but even as a woman, um, you know, you can, um, and, and I think that, that it's different if you're a 20-year-old woman. Um, <laughs> that might right. be a little, uh, uh, you might get more attention than you want. But, <laughs> uh, but on the other hand it's uh uh it, it it's very nice just to i believe in walk in getting to know a city by walking you know mm-hmm. sort of uh by the soles of your feet and it's nice to do it i i'm a runner so i i everywhere i've gone i've gotten up early and i've run in venice and i've run in rome and luca and uh and it's just such a wonderful thing to be out in this strange city and you're you're just seeing it kind of come to life in the morning and there aren't many people around and at night there's it's also in the late evening it's also so very very magical. So that that if you um, and I think that the um, the problem with being in too big a group is you're having such a good time among yourselves right. that you may not be relating to the environment as much. Mm-hmm. The the travel writer Paul Threw um, he had a little book published a few years ago. I don't remember exactly when, but it was called The Tao of Travel. And somewhere mm. in the book, I'm sorry, it was called The Tao of Travel. Yes. And, and somewhere in the book, he mentions, you know, his his principles of, of good travel. Right. And one of them is to to travel alone, because that way you don't have someone else as a crutch and you feel yes. 
feel lonely and want to engage with people and, and to talk to people you wouldn't otherwise talk to. But mm-hmm. I, but you're absolutely right. I remember the first time I, I visited Venice, I was alone and I couldn't help but feel the romantic city, you know, <laughs> penetrate yeah. my soul and, and want to share that experience with somebody in, in, a, in a romantic way. And I, that, that was one of the times I wish uh, I, I weren't <laughs> solo traveling. Yes. Yeah, there, there's, and it's, it's, it's also people relate to you somewhat differently. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, so when you're, when you're traveling around um, doing research for your book, do you, do you write on the road or do you need the space and I don't know, the time and. Well, what I find is research is separate from the writing so mm-hmm. that when I'm out there, um, when I'm out just sort of, you know, if I'm on a trip and I'm going to Sicily and I have my itinerary and I'm taking photographs and then at the end of the day, I try to just, you know, um, take some very rough notes. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I just sort of um, sort of file that away. And um, then I have written my books in Italy, but that's when I've gone there and I've, and we've, we've rented houses and there, they tend to be in isolated areas. And, um, I've had these, uh, um, kind of, um, I, I call them my open air offices. They aren't really even, uh, rooms, but, you know, just like a terrace, you know, mm-hmm. with, uh, with shade and a nice view. And, uh, you know, I, I hook up my, um, I bring elaborate cords and so I can just be outside with my laptop. And, um, my, my husband says, that for me, Italy is like amniotic fluid. You know, it just nourishes uh, everything, and so that my ideas—it it just seems to be a wonderful place for me to write. But it's again, it's not the Italy where I'm going and interviewing people and going to the local festival and the local procession and going out to dinner. It's a very quiet time, and um, away and it's from just, the distractions. Uh, yes. Yes, and it's it's just very. Um, I, I, I I you can't write like that twenty four hours a day. So of course you know I, I I get up early and I write and say until late lunch, and and then uh then do something in the afternoon and, and it's, it's just a very lovely process. And then I come back to my home and do sort of the endless rewriting and mm-hmm. honing and fact checking and all of that. But but I found that that it's uh since I'm writing about Italy, I um I think it helps to be immersed, you know, so that what I, when I turn on the television, I'm listening to Italian, and you know when mm-hmm. I'm uh, go to the when I'm, I'm eating Italian food, I'm um, you know hearing church bells in the distance. It's all um, um, and or at least you've got to admit this is a great justification, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, what, one of the things that I liked about uh, the new book, um, well, firstly, it's not academic in in the way that it's it's not. Mm-hmm difficult to, to, to read and it's very accessible and it runs the gamut, right. In terms of Italian history. And it's this great, in my opinion, a great introduction to the contributions the people of Italy gave Mm -hmm. to the world. Um, and I think in, in that respect, it's a very accessible book for someone willing to get excited or to learn a little bit about Italy. Um, but the title of your book is, you know, the passion, la passione. So, what is what exactly is that? 
Well, uh, it's in, in English. Um, the, the English definition is that passion is an intense desire. It's an intense emotion. And um, mm-hmm. it sort of leaves it at that. But in Italian, um, the, the early Christians back in the first century AD invented the word passio, and it comes from um, the past participle of pati, which means in Latin means to suffer. Suffering. So the original Italian meaning of, uh, of what, what now has evolved into passione in Italian was was for Christ. It was about the, the torture and the crucifixion of Christ. And uh, then the martyrs who were who were killed because of their faith, that also there was the sense that their passione um, was something that was venerated. And so from the beginning it was it was a thing of difficulty, of challenge. But mm-hmm. always with the transcendent ending um, that Christ suffered and by suffering, redeemed the world. So that after the passion comes the resurrection, the martyrs, after their suffering, they were taken into heaven. And so that was the original religious meaning. Um, and it still is. It was Passion Sunday. I'm mm-hmm. Catholic, so it was Passion Sunday last week, and this is called Passion Week. And um, you know, when, you, when you go to Rome during this time, all the statues are covered in purple because it's a time of sadness and anticipation of Christ's passion. And so it wasn't until Dante, who if you ask me, seems to have invented everything in the Italian language, uh, that he um, he realized that romantic love, because he had this lifelong adoration for an unreachable woman named Beatrice, that that too was a passion, because you suffered so much. But on the other hand, what made you feel more alive? What could be more wonderful than to, than to give your heart, and even if it was unrequited love? Mm-hmm. And so he was the one who introduced the idea of passion as being an emotion. And then the Renaissance came along and people pursued their love of beauty. Um, so you have artists like Michelangelo and Leonardo who slaved over their works, you know, who, who spent, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have that image of Michelangelo with the paint dripping on him from the Sistine Chapel. And it was um, just, uh, and again, this was a passion that was hard and challenging and difficult. But my goodness, how transcendent they left us with works that people admire 500 years later. And so then passion and also, as it made its way uh, through through the centuries, there is this idea of it being a, a crime of passion. You know, this is something that cannot be controlled. It's a wild force. And so there's this, this wonderful dictionary I came across, and it uh, is called the Dictionary of Emotions in Italian. And it talks about passion as sort of setting your blood on fire so that mm-hmm. it kind of pulses through your bloodstream and you, um, you're consumed by it and you give it your all. And the moment it's gone... You you just want more. It's it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's and so this is this. I think what Italians have had, and, and Italians have just been around. They've been around for almost three thousand years. If you go back to the Etruscans, and so I think that over time they've they've evolved this sense of uh, it's. I think that that when when we Americans talk about passion, it's almost like a Nike commercial. It's like my passion is skiing, you know, my mm-hmm. and we mean it as my pleasure, my you know, my sense of joy. 
joy and excitement. And, and, it, and you know, Italians are all for that. But what I was so impressed with was how much hard work they put into their passions. So that when I went to interview a ceramicist and he showed me what goes into his technique that goes back to the Renaissance and how difficult it is. When I interviewed chefs and um, you know, just saw how much they studied and how they, they could tell me in a bite where this oil came from and whether the grapes for this wine had grown on the sunny side or the shady side of a, a hill. And so with, with Italians, I think what, what makes La Passione different from our passion is that there's a sense of work and, and trial and challenge mm-hmm. and then of something great coming out of it at the end. And, um, and that's what I think intrigued me so much was that this was, uh, this was not just, um, there was a Roman I interviewed who said to me, well, there are two types of passion. There's the passion that you take to bed. <laughs> and then there's the passion that uplifts you and stays beyond you. And so that's what I, I, I focused on in the book. <laughs> you know, as, as you're describing it there, and also as you describe it in the book, it, it reminded me of what the um, the Spanish refer to um, el duende, right? Especially in reference to flamenco singers and, oh, really? and dancers. Oh, yeah. yeah. So the duendes, um, they, they refer to this as the you know the the emotion of passion of inspiration. But the interesting thing about this word is it comes from a like a little it, uh, Spanish goblin folklore creature. Um, and literally, the little goblin that possesses the house, right? Who goes around and, huh. and causes mm-hmm. mischief. But for some reason, uh, this term came to imply the possession of, of the soul of the, of the flamenco singer, right? And they're so involved with this emotion and this art that you can, you can, you can almost yes. slice it, right? You can feel it. You can, you can hold on to that. So it sounds very similar. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, that idea. When you were researching this book and um, kind of following, uh, following this this idea, um, did you find anything that surprised you about the Italian passion for life or this Italian passion? Did you did you were you surprised? Well, I. I think I, I was surprised. I, you know, we think of it. Uh, you know, I, I, I happen to love opera, and so I'm, I'm not surprised to find out that Verdi's life brimmed with passion, mm-hmm. and that his his romances inspired his beautiful uh, love operas or Puccini. I'm not surprised that Bernini was sort of a um, that he lived and loved as passionately as he sculpted. Um, but I think that that what surprised me were the people like the prosciutto makers, the cheese maker, the balsamic vinegar maker. Um, mm. These were ordinary people. I totally related to them. I don't relate to Bernini right. or Bellini. <laughs> um, but, uh, and yet they, that they, they brought the, when we were in um, Modena, we went to this um, uh, this maker of traditional balsamic vinegar. And uh, he said, well, have you ever heard of balsamic vinegar? And I said, oh yeah, we use it every day. You know, what's, you know, what's kind of like, what's the big deal? And, uh, and he said, no, this is, tri- you know, 
what do you think is in it? And I said, well, I guess vinegar. And he said, no, 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 not in traditional um, uh, balsamic vinegar. There's nothing in it but grape must, that kind of the essence of the juice. And then he explained this process that is so detailed and painstaking. It takes at least 12 years. And there's this distillation through these little barrels, and you have to sort of tend them every day, and you're moving, and uh, and you're aging them in these drafty um, attics and uh, and creating this, this nectar. And um, and I said, oh my God, you know, how do you? Is this like this is family operation? He had, he said, I haven't been away from here since the 1990s because I um, I need to be here taking care of the the both the barrels, the both for for the vinegar. And and I said, and is that you know I, I didn't put it this crassly, but I was I, I was thinking like, is it worth it? You know, is this what is? And he said, oh, you know, when when I when people taste this, and they they can they they taste it. They can, there's nowhere else in the world that any product exists that tastes like this kind of um, handmade mm. artisan traditional vinegar. And that's his, and he says, and also the world comes to me because it's true. I mean, he's like become famous among the, the foodies of the world, you know, and people, people trek to see it. But I don't think it's for that kind of uh, uh, recognition. But it's just, and it's a process that he goes back in centuries in his family. His father had done this, his grandfather. And so there's this sense of continuing something great, but also just this idea of that that it's significant because um, be, because of this value it has to me, and it has value to others because we all respect that. You know, we all respect the hard work that mm-hmm. someone puts into it. But I, I think what amazed me was to see so many uh, that this idea of pursuing a passion, giving it your all, was so diffuse in the culture, um, and that that even even people who have day jobs, uh, they 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 pursue their passion. It could be for music, it could be for dance, it could be for um, uh, for any sort of, uh, but but they, they do it with this, um, with the idea of this is not going to be, I don't do it because it's easy, I don't do it because it comes natural to me, I do it because I find it so rewarding. And, um, and when I thought about it, I would say that the first thing that in my life that really was like that um, was learning Italian. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. when you study a language, you, you know, if you're really going to study a language, it just takes that kind of commitment. And um, and so it was, uh, it, and it's hard to explain to somebody why you're, when I started studying Italian, someone said to me, could you think of a, of a less useful language? <laughs> and, I thought, <laughs> and I thought, I don't know. I, I think it opens up the whole world of uh, culture and arts. But um, again, it's, it, I was just, um, and everywhere I went, I wasn't just talking to the, to the prestigious and the academics and the, um, the the people who had gained recognition, but just um, the people whose lives they had found a richness in their lives because of their personal passion. Mm. Yeah, I think you've mentioned somewhere, um, maybe it was a, in another interview that I heard you give that um, you know out of all of the languages that are studied by people, of course, Spanish. There's a great native Spanish-speaking yes. population. English, of course, Chinese, um, French, even. And if you if you look at the you know the top countries um, or the top languages uh, that people study in the world, they're often associated with countries that had a empire, like a global um, important yes. empire. And Italy had one, uh, but it wasn't nearly as big as any of the others. Right? They had a very short-lived empire in I don't know parts of Africa uh, at best. Right. Yet it's still 
such a well-studied language because of the romance that the language, people think that the language evokes uh, and the passion of, of the people. If, if, if the passion, if the Italian passion that you mentioned is, is so diffuse, if it's something that we can find in, you know, in cheesemakers and in, <laughs> uh, you know, everywhere in, in Italy, is it something that is quite tangible for the passerby, um, for the tourist, for somebody that comes and goes, someone who kind of scratches the surface of visiting Italy? Is that passion something that is um, tangible, noticeable? I think it is. It comes from paying attention because um, just think of all the meals you've eaten, <coughs> excuse me, and are going to eat in Italy. And it's uh, if you eat them like American fast food, mm-hmm. you know, if it's just the idea that you're going to go in, you're going to get your 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 your, your linguine uh, with with mussels, and you know, ten minutes later you're on the road again. But you know, I think if you if you go, and it doesn't have to be a you know a shrine of culinary perfection, but if you just go to your basic pasta. Where there's, you know, somebody in back has made the pasta and somebody has made the the sauce from the fresh vegetables, and you take the time and you think, my God, you know, this has um, so many more flavors. This isn't like what I get from a jar. This isn't. Um, mm-hmm. This is. This pasta doesn't feel like what I make in my kitchen when I open the box and, <laughs> and pour in the, <laughs> the, the pour the pasta into the hot water. And I think that that's where again you. Curiosity comes in, or you're you're just kind of opening. Um, and what I would say to people who uh, who because it, it all can be a blur and it can be overwhelming. But I think that it's really being in that moment, really paying attention to your senses. What is it I'm tasting? What is it I'm hearing? How do I, you know, what is it this um, that I'm seeing? And and just. Um, Savoring um, that feeling, and and then even if you you never go and interview the chef and say what you put in that, but but I think you can. There are flavors that I can kind of conjure up in my memory, uh, you know, of things that I've eaten in 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 Italy, and um, mm-hmm. uh, that 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 I and that there's also just sort of the the sheer pleasure of that, you know, just sort of. Uh, realizing that the sheer enjoyment of what you're eating, drinking, seeing, hearing was made by someone who poured passion into it. And, um, and that in itself just sort of adds someone, I, I was reading a quote by, um, I forget which scholar who said, you know, that most people who have gone to Italy over the ages have gone with serious purposes. You know, they've gone to study uh, architecture or they've gone on their grand, the grand tour and they were going to see every tent or that. So, and, um, and yet maybe all that they remember is the blue sky and uh, laughing with some Italian they met. And that in itself also is is sort of um, I think Italians would say well that matters as much it matters as much as whether mm-hmm. or not you came back and you had this uh, information that you could take a test on but that you experience something that will be that is part of you and it's I think that's what we were talking before about you know travel and being open to travel and how it gets inside you it changes you and um, and I even if you're I, I, I think it's that nec- that you have to pause though you have to uh, you know not uh, and it can be hard because you're, you know, you're kind of looking at your map and you're 
using your 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 phone and there's so many mm-hmm. much going on but you know even if you're you're standing in uh, if you go to the Sistine Chapel and, and I've gone several times and that it's just at first your thought is you know it's wonderful all that but my god all these people let me out of here and I have actually just stayed there for like an hour or more and there are it's like the crowd surges in and out and there's then all of a sudden it's like the tide and there's a moment where you're almost alone and seeing mm. you know, everybody who makes noise is gone and you're just there and you're it just hits you um, what a remarkable work this is what a how this what it what it what it means who this person was how it, and just it just it really does you, you almost it's almost like osmosis or some tangible prize you take it into you and so that's what I would say is um, just just pause um, let it happen you don't even have to work at it but you have to give it that <laughs> kind of free space mm-hmm. reflecting back on on your book uh, you, you you speak about the Roman Empire and, and the rise of what we know now as Italy throughout uh, the centuries um, as kind of embodying this passion. But I, I wonder to what extent, you know, this idea of passion in Italy has in some ways um, attracted a lot of attention to Italy to the point where now it is kind of self-defeating in the sense of, uh, well, I, I just take for, for example, and you end the book on this note, right? Um, it's a very nice chapter. It's kind of bittersweet, uh, depiction of Venice, right? Beautiful, beautiful oh. city, but because of its beauty and because it's because of its notoriety, it's no longer beautiful in some way, right? Because of the over tourism and um, yeah. the rise of sea level. Um, I was wondering if you had any ideas or any thoughts about about that. I, well, you are, you're right. It's very bittersweet. And it's, um, and I feel for the Venetians, um, their, their numbers have dwindled. There's fewer than, it's around 50,000 now. And when I talk to them, they, they, what's happened is, uh, it's turning into sort of, um, you know, a Disneyland in the sense that mm-hmm. it's hard to live there. There aren't stores where you can just get groceries, get your laundry, you know, just, just all those kinds of services that real people need because it's much much more profitable to sell um, little mementos for you know for tourists and uh, and and that it, it, the Venetians had lived so magnificently for so long and now it's 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 a very sad thing to think of it just being um, you know a diversion a, a, a great place for selfies um, and mm-hmm. and the the, the, the um, I've never been there in the peak seasons because I've I've always chosen to go you know but even then the shoulder season and is getting, you know, I, I we I was there in February, and people said, "Oh, it's a good thing you didn't come in March because March is so busy." And I was thinking, really, <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's like, you know, November is getting busy, and uh, so it's, uh, wow. and and I, it's a it's a problem that it's it's heartbreaking, um, and it, there there are essays that I've seen saying, "Is it the ethical choice not to go to a place like Venice?" 
is this the best thing you can do, um, is just not add to the problem. And I think, oh, there's got to be an alternative to that. You know, there's got to be um, some way of, uh, of, of, of not having, um, you know, of, of making it sort of like the people who really appreciate it most shouldn't go there. And uh, But I, I've been, you know, the cruise ships that come in and they're just mm-hmm. hordes of people that descend. And it's, it's um, Byron called Italy, you know, said it's, it's the fa- it's fatal gift of beauty. And it's true. It just mm-hmm. always has attracted so many people. And right now it's caught in this situation where tourism is is becoming kind of its lifeblood. But on the other hand, at what price? Um, I I wish I had the answer because I, I mean, at times I think, oh, goodness, you know, I, I, I want people to read my book and go to Italy, but I don't want to add to the um, to the crush. Right. Right. I think um, Francis Mays just came out with uh, a new book recently. I think See You in the mm-hmm. Piazza or something. And um, I haven't had a chance to read the book yet, but it seems like she is, you know, taking the reader on uh, an itinerary throughout the lesser known villages and uh, cities yes. throughout Italy. And maybe that's um, a good alternative to see. I think so. Yes. And I think it's a, if people say, well, I've, you know, I've been to Italy, I've been to, you know, they, they, you know, Venice, Rome. And, and I said, well, you know, but you haven't probably haven't been to, uh, to uh, Basilicata and you probably haven't been to Sicily and you, you know, you, you know, there, there are places that um, are yet to be, are yet to be discovered. And, and even in Lazio, the, the, you know, the Roman region, mm-hmm. you don't have to go that far to find yourself. It's kind of like, you know, when people say, if you really think of the United States, is just being New York, Chicago, L.A., you know, and uh, I can be in where I live on the coast of, um, and don't tell anybody to come here, <laughs> but, <laughs> but Bodega Bay, I can be in San Francisco in an hour and a half, and um, and yet it's a world apart. I, I mean, it is just uh, out in the country, we have fishermen and farms everywhere, uh, so it's uh, it would be a, a misjudgment for people to, to just sort of say that the United States is made up of big cities, and I think that's true. That, uh, but on the, but, and I, I think what's wonderful is that every little town in Italy has has something. I mean, they have an old church that has this wonderful medieval fresco, or they have a campanile, or they have. There's always um, some claim to fame, and uh, and uh, and uh, I think that's something that that um, that that people can discover. Mm-hmm. So true. Went to Naples a few years back, and you know, just went out into Campania, right? Just went to Caserta and just out in, you know, these little, you know, these little towns and villages where hardly a soul goes to. And it's wonderful. The the people are even friendlier there. And yeah, you're right. It's just a nice, nice thing to do to explore those lesser known areas. Uh Well, Diane, I... I, I know uh, we're kind of short on time, uh, but before we go, I want to ask you um, if <laughs> if you could uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the puttanesca sauce. Ah, yes. <laughs> well, uh, yes, uh, sometimes uh, there are some foods in every country that sort of capture a particular trait. And the puttanesca sauce is, uh, it's, it's, uh, it has a puttana is, um, is, is quite the insult. Uh, it's a, a word for women of the night, uh, shall we say. And, um, so it's, uh, it, it has a, a real kick to it. It's that, and it's, uh, like, it's one of the, the, the fun ways to think about 
about Italian passion is in the food because it's uh, you have the the puttanesca sauce, which is uh, which is, is 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 going to literally set your mouth on fire. And there's um, tiramisu, which is uh, chocolate and caffeine and wonderful things. And supposedly Venetian prostitutes used to have that uh, sort of to refresh their energies during the the day and the night. Uh, and so there, there are these wonderful um, you know, there's dishes that that kind of capture Italian life and Italian passion. And uh, to me, there's there's sort of nothing better than tiramisu for breakfast in Italy. <laughs> well, good. Uh, I'll, we'll have to try that uh, in May. I'll, I'll I'll be thinking about you with the tiramisu for for breakfast. <laughs> I highly recommend it. <laughs> well, thank you for spending the time with us today. And well, you know, best of luck to you and your new book. And I look forward to reading what else you come up with. That's great. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I enjoyed talking with you and have a great trip to Italy. I hope you enjoyed this episode of All Over the Place. To join in on the conversation, visit the episode show notes and leave a comment. Don't forget to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app and follow us on social media. Please subscribe to our newsletter to receive emails with travel-related news, book recommendations, and resources from around the world. Links can be found at All Over the Place Podcast. Until next time.